right, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. What a wonderful song. And if you think about it, uh, Jesus really is the sweetest name that we can know. And uh, man, praise the Lord, we do know who he is. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Romans chapter number two. Romans chapter number two this morning. This morning, this afternoon. I don't know why I do that. Um, I, I used to do that all the time in Peru. I don't know why. I would get those two flopped all the time, and I would be telling people in the morning, good afternoon, and in the night, I'd be telling them good morning, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I mix up. I guess I, I guess it's not so bad. I do know it's the afternoon. I don't know why I just, words get goofed up there. Romans chapter number two. Romans two. In Romans one, we... Uh, we find that it, it more directly addresses, chapter 1 more directly addresses the Gentile people. Remember that uh, Paul is writing not to a specific church. You remember in Corinth, he wrote to a specific church, and in Galatians he was writing, uh, of course they would share it to several churches in Galatian and Thessalonica, but in Romans he, he is very uh, got a, a much broader audience, not just a specific uh, church of people. If you remember in Romans 1, 7, he says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And so he's writing all these Christians that are in Rome. And uh, remember that in Rome, there was also a large Jewish population and a Gentile population. And so Paul is addressing both of them. And it's unique in that he very much so uh, directs, uh, makes his message applicable to both parties, both to the Gentiles and to the Jewish people. And it's good to keep that in mind. Uh, several times he does mention uh, to the Jew and to the Gentile. You'll see that phrase several times throughout the book of Romans. And we find chapter 1, uh, he was specifically, you remember, he said as he was addressing sin, and he goes through especially in the end part, he deals with uh, God gave them up to uncleanness and to vile affections and to a reprobate mind, the things that God gave them up to. And you could imagine the Jewish religious crowd saying, Amen, them heathens, God gave them up. And you could kind of picture that. Uh, and the heathens thinking to ourselves, yeah, we, we're a bunch of sinners. We know that. We're lost. We're without God. And, uh, and so you kind of get that idea and that picture as you go through chapter 1. In chapter 2, he is going to start addressing the Jewish crowd. And, uh, and that crowd that was saying amen, now they're going to quiet down. And now the heathens are going to say amen. Uh, because those Jews, uh, the Jewish people... Uh, were very religious people. And because of that religion, they became very pious people. Uh, and listen, that is a great message to us as Christians. One of the biggest problems with the Jewish nations, who was it that Jesus battled with most when he had his earthly ministry? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember that he addressed them many times and he... He was, he was fierce against the Pharisaical mindset and against the Pharisees. And he said, hey, you're, you're as whited sepulchers. In other words, you're beautifully painted white on the outside, but you're full of a bunch of dead stuff on the inside. There is nothing there. And he was very direct. And we're going to see that Paul is going to start addressing uh, this pious mentality uh, that, that comes out very much so in the religious Jewish section. But listen, as Christians... Uh, and especially 
in the Christian nation that we are and have been for so many years, though I would say maybe not so much today, we are in great decline as far as Christendom stands. Uh, and so, uh, but, but we do carry with us a heritage. I mean, I don't know about your family, but I look back and my grandfather got saved and, and my dad grew up in church and my dad raised us in church. And, and I look back and I say, man, I'm the third generation. And maybe not everyone here is a second or a third generation. And maybe some of you are, are new in Christ, but I'm saying this, sometimes with all that generation comes a pious attitude that, hey, we are better than everyone else. And we need to be very careful that that attitude does not consume us. And that's one of the things that Paul is going to deal with here in chapter 2 as we, we start out the chapter. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And let's stop right there and uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get into the message. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. God, thank you for the fact that we have a copy of your word, God, sitting in our laps, and many of us have multiple copies, and, and what, a, what a blessing uh, that we have such access to your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, may we uh, learn and, and grow from your word this evening. God, I pray that you'd touch each and every heart and each and every listener. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that is said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, uh, of course, Paul, uh, let me say this too about Paul and, and the book of Romans. Uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, as we went through them, and Thessalonians and Galatians, they, they were very straightforward. Uh, many times Paul uh, would, would go in and, and he would tackle a certain point and then he would move on to another point. And he'd tackle that point, then he would move on. In the book of Romans, uh, especially here in chapter 2, I find that Paul tends to chase and out every single rabbit. Uh, and he will run that rabbit all the way down the hole and all the way to where it actually lives. I mean, uh, he, he really rabbit trails and, uh, and, and follows a lot of interesting trails uh, that, so that sometimes as we read through, uh, it's difficult sometimes to know uh, where his one point starts and his next point stops because he'll chase this rabbit out and then he'll jump all the way back up to where he left off uh, before he started chasing that rabbit. And so sometimes uh, it, with his words here, uh, it, it can be difficult sometimes to trace those. So I, I just encourage you to help or try and, and, and catch uh, the, the ideas that he is giving out here. In verse number one, I want you to notice uh, a couple things. But the first thing I want us to notice about verse number one is Paul's, or Paul mentions the pious judgment uh, and how it's, he's admonishing that. He's saying, listen, that's not right. But even in the opening argument, he says, Thou therefore, or therefore thou, art inexcusable, O man. And remember that whenever you see therefore, or wherefore, you have to go back into the context. And you'll remember in chapter 1, uh, as we went through those, that God gave them up. He's saying, he's closing out that argument. 
And he's saying, listen, man, uh, listen, mankind, listen, uh, both Jew and, he- and, and heathen person, uh, that thou art inexcusable because God has revealed himself in you. And he certainly knows, we know that, and that's very evident. We could go all the way back to, uh, to verses 17 and 18 and 19 that he talks about uh, being revealed, uh, that God has revealed himself into man. And you see how he's kind of wandered all through all of that and chased out that rabbit. Uh, then we find in verse 1 of chapter 2, he opens up saying, hey, okay, we've drawn the conclusion that mankind is inexcusable. They know that there is a God know that there's something out there bigger than them. Then he goes on and he says, Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. And he kicks off chapter 2 with this idea of, of pious judgment being admonished. That's what he starts out with. And so we see that here. He says, whosoever that judges. In other words, well, who was the people judging in that that time? It was the Jews, largely. They were looking at the Gentiles. They They don't do this. They don't follow the Old Testament law. They don't do this. And they were casting a whole lot of judgment on the heathen people who were largely not religious, who many of them came from uh, polytheistic backgrounds. In other words, they believed that there were many gods. And they, be- they, they may have prayed to the God of the river and the God of the harvest and the God of the sowing of seed and, and the God, this God and that God. And they had gotten saved out of that and their mindset was far different uh, than the Jewish mindset that would have been, hey, there's just one God. And we know that. And so this one God mindset will look at that polytheistic mindset and say, man, you guys are are messed up. Listen, when somebody gets saved, uh, the Bible says that, behold, all things are become new. But listen, there's there's an amount of growth that takes place. One of the things working in Peru, it was all new Christians. It was baby Christians. I mean, everyone, uh, I felt like I was preaching doctrine and basic uh, Bible discipleship every service and, and just trying to lay groundwork constantly. Why? Because their mindset was totally different. They had a whole lot of scripture to, to learn. Uh, I've given the illustration several times, but, but I'll never get over the fact that I, I remember going to Peru, and of course I was excited, and we started with a Bible study, and, and I remember telling those people, hey, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And I see them, and they're back here in the book of Genesis, and they're paging one page at a time. John, John, where's the book of John? And they're looking for it. And I thought, man, I, I'm going to have to help these people out. And so I tell them, I'm waiting for them to find it. You know, and I didn't want to start reading. I mean, they're still, they're not there. They're looking for the Gospel of John. So I decided I'd help them out. I said, well, it's, it's in the New Testament. About, about that time, half of them had read Psalms, and they're still one page at a time, flipping. And I realized these people have no Bible knowledge whatsoever. I've grown up my whole life with the Bible. I might look at somebody that says, uh, well, I don't know where the Gospel of John is, and think, well, Man, that's pretty basic. Would you? I mean, did you not go to school? I mean, we could become very judgmental and cast judgment on them and say, man, you ought to learn, you ought to know better. I mean, uh, you ought to know those books of the Bible. Well, 
I've grown up in churches from the nursery up, and I've always known where the, 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 the New Testament and the Old Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, 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 and those things. And, and I look at them and I say, man, they, they didn't know, but you got to understand, hey, these people, uh, there was those differences. And the Jewish people would look at the mindset of these heathen people who had gotten saved out of their idolatry and out of their, uh, their, their polytheistic mindset and, and all the things that went with that. And, and Paul was working to unify them in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he looks at them, he says, uh, in verse number one, he says, Whosoever thou art that judgest. And that would have largely been the Jewish population versus the Gentile population. He says, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. The Jewish people had become very proud and puffed up. And they thought they were better than the heathen people because, well, they already knew there was one God. They already knew that God had created the heavens and the earth. They already knew many things, uh, though that, that knowledge is not necessarily uh, salvation. And, of course, he brought some of that out in the book of Galatians. But he's saying, listen, uh, you're no more better than them. Uh, you remember in Luke chapter number 15, we won't go there. But Paul was very quick to point out the imperfections of the Jewish people. And how did he do that? He's saying, listen, you're judging people, but you're no better. You remember in Luke chapter number 15, and we talk at the Bible, we commonly know it as the prodigal son. And we know that, hey, the prodigal son, uh, he took his father's inheritance and he ran headlong into sin. And he lived his life and he wasted all his, the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. And we look at that and we say, man, that guy was wrong. And there's no question, he was wrong. Nobody is going to argue that he was right. Um, but in the end, he did end up coming back. He did get his head screwed on straight. And he ended up coming home to, the, to his father's house and his father accepted him in. That would kind of represent the Gentile people that, that were lost in their sins. They, there's no question they lived lost in their sins. But what about the Jewish people? That was the other brother that stayed at home. He never left the house. He didn't go, go jump headlong into sin. But yet his heart was not right because he became very upset that his brother had returned, been forgiven, been restored, and was even thrown a party because he had returned. And then he had an our heart issue that said, well, I'm jealous. I'm not going to that party. I'm not going to celebrate that my brother came home and he wasted all the substance of my father. And then he comes home and my father throws him a, a party. And he became very uh, uh, upset about that issue. And he refused to go in and he refused to celebrate. And that would be like the Jewish people becoming very pious. Hey, we've had the religion. We know who God is. God selected us as God's chosen people. And he delivered to us the word of God that we would carry it forth. And so you have that mindset of them judging the heathen people and saying thou and and Paul is quick to point out listen just because God is, has you as a chosen people and just because God has given you the Old Testament and he'll cover that in chapter 3 he said listen you are just as wrong for judging looking at the heathen people and judging them and Paul is condemning pious judgment he's admonishing that and saying you are not perfect and, and, and there's a problem 
that is going on. Not only that, in verse number two, so we see pious judgment is admonished in verse number one. But in, in verse number two, he is very quick to point out that perfect judgment is affirmed. Look with me in verse number two. He says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And that such things would go all the way back uh, to chapter 1 in verses 24 or, or verses 29 rather down through 32 that he discusses and, and lays out that whole list of sin. And he says, listen, there is righteous judgment that is sure. He says in verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And he says, uh, he's saying, listen, uh, there's righteous judgment. There's perfect judgment that is affirmed. And he says, it's a surety of God. Listen, you know why man is not capable of judging man? Because we're all sinners. Remember when Jesus had that, uh, that woman that was taken in idolatry and, and the Pharisees were there, man, they were, they were ready to stone him. They were setting up Jesus to trap him. They were constantly trying to find fault with the Lord Jesus Christ. So they brought this woman in with idol, idolatry, or uh, adultery, excuse me, not idolatry, adultery. And, uh, and, and they said, hey, the law says she should be slain. That's what the law says. And so they were trying to trap Jesus and pit Jesus against this woman who was in in the act of adultery. And Jesus, what did he do? Bible says he said, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says they went out one by one. I tend to think, and this is just my personal opinion, the older ones dropped their stone and walked away. They knew. They're like, nope. And the younger ones, we're going to stone her, we're going to stone her, and they're kind of looking around saying, and they realized everyone started leaving. They started looking at their own life and saying, I'm not perfect either. And realizing, and they're walking away. Man is incapable of judging other man because all of us are on equal footing, and that's where all sinners There's none of us that are perfect. He goes on and says that in Romans chapter 3. He says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. He said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hey, he's he's pointing that out and he's steering them in that direction to understand. Listen, even if you are a privileged Jew uh, who who grew up uh, in the Old Testament law and understands that there's only one God and there's one creator and there's a lot of knowledge that they had about God, but they were lacking the heart about God. And, And he's saying, listen, God is just... And God is the only one that is capable of judging true judgment. And he points that out in chapter or verse number two. He's saying, listen, perfect judgment is affirmed, but it only comes from God. And then he goes on in Romans 9 and verse number 14. He says this, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Listen, God is a perfect judge. God is not going to make a mistake. God is not going to look at us and judge us incorrectly. Man may. Man very well will. But God will not. And he's assuring them that righteous judgment is going to come from God. Not only that, but look at what he says in verse 2. that The judgment of God is according to truth. The surety 
not only of God being that judge, but also according to truth. You remember over in Revelations, uh, it says, uh, and the books were opened. And I don't know necessarily what all of those books were, but I do know what one of those books were. That's the Word of God. This book defines what is right and what is wrong. And, and, and there's no way about it. There's no way to get around it. This book is the authority of the Word of God. And the fact that, hey, we read it and we study it uh, helps us understand what God's mind is and what is right and what is wrong. Uh, many years ago, I, I saw a, uh, a video, and uh, I'll never forget it, and he was talking about society in large. It was a very, uh, it was a very interesting video and, and very deep-seated point. And, and uh, when, when he looked at society and he said, somebody was telling somebody else, well, lying is wrong. And the question was, well, who said lying is wrong? And then they say, well, murder is wrong. And they say, well, who said murder is wrong? And they go through many things, but the bottom line is, who's authoritative enough to say that? And if you remove all that stuff and you, and you take away the word of God, you say, well, uh, you know, if you're trying to teach morality absent of the word of God, then who's got the final say? Who's to determine what's right and what's wrong? Who's to determine if lying is right or lying is wrong? Then you come up with a double standard because in some cases lying might be right and lying might be wrong. But if you go with the word of God, you have a definite standard that says this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And the Bible is very clear on many things. And God is the authority. And so he's saying here in verse number two that there is a perfect judgment that is affirmed and, the word, and God is that righteous judge that is perfect and the word of God is righteous. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse number 60, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And the word of God will stand and his book is right. And make no, no uh, mistake about it that the Word of God is the righteous and perfect Word of God that, will, that is the standard and authority for what is right and wrong. So we find, we find pious judgment in verse 1 is condemned. We find perfect judgment is affirmed in, in verse number 2. And I want you to notice in verses 3 down through 11, probably even through uh, verse number uh, 16, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he goes on a rabbit trail about personal judgment being assured. And we're going to get into that. Look what it says there in verse number three. He says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? In other words, he says to him, Hey, you who, who are judging the other people, uh, do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Do you think you're so far above the law and that you're so far above everything else that you can judge everything else, but you yourself will not stand in judgment at the day before God? And he's saying, listen, that's completely uh, ludicrous. Look at verse number four. He goes on and he says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? In other words, he's saying, listen, uh, to, he's 
specifically calling out the nation of Israel. Who was the nation that was blessed? Who was the nation that had received all of that? It was not by and large the heathen people. It was the Jewish people. They had received many blessings. They had received those things. But look at what he says in verse number four. He says, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? In other words, God said, hey, I've blessed you and I've tried to, uh, to, to, to give you many blessings in your life, but you've not recognized the blessings and repented of your way, but rather you've become very ungrateful and taken those things for granted. Well, how do you know that? Look at verse 4. See what he says. He goes on in his indictment against them. And he says in verse number 4, verse number 5, I'm sorry, verse 5, but after thy hardness an impenitent heart, treasurous up unto thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, he's saying in verse number five, he's saying, listen, you are piously judging other people. And I want you to understand there's coming. Do you think that you're above judgment and that God will never take into account your actions and your thoughts and your judgments that you've judged on everyone else without and just overlook your life? And he's saying, listen, the hardness and impenitent heart, that would be hard heartedness. And that would be impenitent, would be unrepenting. In other words, somebody who will not repent. And he's saying, listen, you're not, you're not going to change. And I'm giving you the opportunity, but you're not going to change. And, and so, uh, listen, the idea is, hey, I want you to, but you haven't. And I've blessed your life, but nothing's changed. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, that, that, that you have built up for yourself, that's what he says in verse 5, treasurous up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. In other words, you're staring judgment in the face. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this. As we think about personal judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 11. I remember we went through this in 1 Corinthians, but he really is covering this very clearly in, in, in Romans chapter number 2. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, for other uh, chapter 3, verse number 11, for other foundation can no man lay uh, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's establishing that in verse 11 here that he's talking to saved people. So the foundation is laid, that's Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he says, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. And I remember covering this uh, when we went through this, and that's simply to say that even the saved will be judged of God. Now, we're not, in, we're not in fear of losing our salvation. I want you to understand that. 
Because he says here uh, that, listen, if you build upon that foundation, that Jesus Christ, uh, that is the solid rock, if you've been saved and if you've been born again, and as you go through your life and you build on your life, if you implement spiritual building in your life, uh, you're adding to your life gold and silver, not gold, earthly gold, but rather heavenly gold and riches that can only be attained through God. But if you add unto uh, there, he says, by uh, wood, hay, or stubble, Wood, hay, and stubble would obviously represent the worldly treasures and the worldly things that, that can be made. But in the end, uh, when, when judgment comes, uh, that listen, that's going to be burned up by fire. You know, you could put gold through fire, and you know what happens? It comes out more pure. You can put silver through fire, you know what happens? It comes out more pure. You ever put wood through fire? You know what happens? It's all gone. It burns up. There's nothing left. Uh, you ever put hay in fire? It burns up even faster. It doesn't even last as long. It's stubble. That would be all the, uh, all the junk that you rake out of your yard and throw that in the fire. It just burns right up and it's gone. It does not last long. And so what he's saying is, listen, even the saved people are going to be judged and stand before God. Back in Romans chapter 2, that is what he's describing here in Romans 2 and verse number, uh, number 4. He says, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. And then in verse 5, he says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, we're not to uh, stand before our peers. And one thing that we need to keep in mind in our lifetime is you're not going to stand before me in the judgment day. You're not going to stand before any man in the judgment day. We're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God, and I'm going to stand before God. And we, it would do us well to remember that in our life. Because, listen... If every one of us live our life like, well, one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my actions, I think we'd be a little more careful about the actions we take. But the nation of Israel, they had blessings. They had, uh, look, at, he says that in verse number four, uh, that thou despisest the riches and goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God was trying to bless them. God was trying to draw them back to himself. But because their heart was hardened in verse five, and they were unrepentant, impenitent, impenitent heart, that would be on the inside, their actions on the outside may not have displayed that. Many of the Pharisees and the pious Jewish, uh, they, they, they were very religious and they were, uh, looked good on the outside, but the problem was on the inside. That's what Jesus was saying. And so we see that the ungratefulness, we see the, uh, the unrepentant problem of their life and how they were treasuring up for themselves wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You notice he'll mention that again in verse 5 that he brought out in, in verse 2 is that God's judgment is going to be right. We're not talking about a man's opinion. We're talking about the righteous God that keeps accurate notes and accurate records. And, and by the way, God sees the heart and not just our actions. And so there's far more uh, 
uh, than, than what man can see. And God keeps track of that stuff. And he's warning them. And he's saying, listen, there is a personal judgment. And, and it would do us well to heed the warning that is given in this chapter, hey, that God is, is keeping track of our life. He goes on in verse 6. And verses 6 down through 11 he describes two different type of people and he kind of weaves the two uh, ideas together. In verse number uh, six, he says, uh, he continues his sentence from verse number five, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about righteous judgment. So I want you to understand that he has yet to even uh, broach the idea of salvation. He's not talking about salvation here, but he's talking about righteous judgment going back to verses 1 and 2. And so this is talking about that. And he says in verse number 7, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. In other words, to those who are saved and are living a good life, uh, those who are seeking, uh, that would be God's honor and God's glory. He's talking about good things, not bad things. And he contrasts that because in verse number 8 and 9, and verse, uh, verses 8 and 9, he talks about bad things. And then verse 10, he jumps back to the good things. And he says in verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he's quick to drag us back that, hey, this applies to the Jew as well as to the Gentile. And so if somebody is seeking to do good and they're looking to do good works, then listen, there is the blessing of God on their life. And listen, that is clear throughout Scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We might not be perfect, but listen, we ought to be striving to seek God. We ought to be striving to please God with our life. We ought, to be, we ought to be conscientious of the fact that, hey, uh, that, that at some point, God is going to judge us. Now, listen, every one of us will have some kind of wood in our life. There's no doubt about it. It'll be burned up. But listen, I, I want to try and strive in my life to live a spiritual life where I'm heaping together gold, not for me, but for God's honor and for God's glory. And that's what he's driving to in these verses, verses eight and verse, or excuse me, verse seven and verse number ten. He's saying, "Listen, that we ought to seek God." And the Bible says it over and over again. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter four and verse number 20, 29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So the idea is that we ought to be seeking after God in our life. And he's saying that these, uh, the many times those who judge, they were not seeking after God. They were rather seeking a prominent position uh, that they could judge other people and be looked to. Uh, Proverbs eight seventeen: I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. And where he's saying, listen, in verses 7, uh, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he's saying, listen, 
We ought to be seeking after God. Uh, listen, it's so easy. The world tempts us constantly to become entangled with the affairs of this life and with the things of this world. It just does. And so he's warning us that, hey, at some point, God is going to judge us and we ought to be seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, we see this. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. In verses 7 and 10, he, he writes and he assures them, hey, that those that are seeking God, they're going to find uh, good things in their life. They're going to be blessed in their life. But those who are seeking contention, and there are contentious people, that's what he says there in verse number 7, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. In other words, uh, those are the many times they can be religious people uh, who know the truth, but they're not seeking the truth. They're not seeking God with a diligent heart. They're seeking rather contention. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, and he's assuring them God is taking notes and God is keeping track. And in the end, they're going to have to stand before God, not before us. We don't, listen, lest we be like the Pharisees, we judge, well, that guy did this, and that guy did this, and man, I was in church, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. We ought to be careful that we don't become puffed up ourselves, but rather, as has been stated so many times, it is a full-time job to keep yourself right with God without worrying about other people. And Paul is saying, listen, there's this pious, righteous Jewish crowd that is often judging heathen people and judging other people with, the, with this I'm better than thou attitude. And, and he's saying, listen, I can assure you, I can, I can assure you of this, that every person, whether they're heathen, he says to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, if they're living right and seeking God, that they're going to stand before God. If they're, a, if they're contentious and seeking contention, even if they're a Jew, even if they're a Gentile, it does not matter, that they are going to stand before God in righteous judgment, not unjust judgment. And so he's talking about all of this, and you can see how he really rabbit trails down into the idea of the pious judgment is what he's dealing with in all of these verses. And then verse number 11, he ends it out and he says this, for there is no respect of persons with God. God's not going to look at one. Mike and David, come up here for a minute. I need two volunteers, so I just volunteered you. That's what you do when you don't want to ask for volunteers. You just volunteer them. Come on up here. Come on, come on all the way up here for a minute. We'll let you reckon, we'll let you be the Gentile. We'll let you be the Jew. And you, you stand a little bit further because the Jews don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. They don't want to be near them. God's not going to look at the Jew and say, well, you know, you're Jewish, so I'm, I'm going to pardon this. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to let this slide and let this slide because, I mean, you are a Jewish person. God's not going to do that 
Because the Bible is very clear uh, that, hey, there's no, there's no respect of persons with God. He's not going to say, well, you're Jewish and you're affluent and this and that, and you're a Gentile. Man, we're going we're gonna to throw the book at you, the law, man, every bit of it. You got to do this, you got to do that, and if you mess up. And listen, that's oftentimes what the Jews were doing to the Gentiles. Well, you did this wrong. Well, you did that wrong. Well, you did this wrong. And, and they were very judgmental against the heathen people. And Paul is pointing out, he's quick to point out that God's judgment is not partial to one way or to the other. He is very just in what he judges. He's very, very uh, um, righteous is what the word is, that the Bible uses in his judgments. He's going to say, listen, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, this is what my word says, and you broke my word. This is what my word says, and you broke my word. You went against my word. And you don't have any slack because you're a Jew, and you don't have any slack because you're a heathen, you didn't know any better. The fact is, the word of God gives us clear dictates, and because you went against it, then the righteous judgment is what God dictates from his word. And so there's no difference whether you're Jew or Gentile. It does not matter. Thank you, guys. You may sit down. There's no difference between them. God's not looking at one and saying, well, you're, listen, we are, by rights, we are, uh, by and large, we are, we are Gentile people, with the exception of pastor. He's got Jewish heritage. But we're Gentile people. I mean, we are. But listen, God's not going to give us a slide, a pass, because, well, we, we grew up, we didn't know any better. He's not going to look at us and say, well, you know, we'll, we'll let you slide on that because you, after all, you didn't know. No, his, his judgments are righteous. They're going to be the same. There's no respect of persons. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to give you, and, and, and to pull that over into the Christian circles and the Christian mindset, well, I tell you what, man, you sang in the choir and you cleaned the church every week. I tell you, I'm going to give you a pass on that. Well, you did this, and you, well, man, you were, you were a really good uh, giver at church, so we're going to let some things slide. God doesn't do that. His judgments are righteous, and he expects the same from all of his children. So we need to understand that that's what Paul is saying, and that, that eventually, someday, uh, that, listen, we will stand before God. Listen, there's, there's two separate judgments, and I, don't, I won't get into all the details, but there is certainly one judgment. It's in Revelation. I believe it's in chapter 21, if I'm not mistaken, verse, chapter 20, somewhere in there, uh, where it says um, that, that um, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That is, that is the judgment of those that are lost. And, and he's, he's not judging them to find out if they were good enough to get in heaven. That's not what he's judging them at all. Uh, matter of fact, we find that they're, they're cast into the lake of fire. And so God is dealing with the lost people. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we looked at, listen, saved people are going to give an account for themselves as well. Don't think, well, I'm saved, I get a pass, and I don't have to worry, I can live how I want. That's, what, that's what's so largely proclaimed today. Grace, they say. That's an abuse of grace. God expects us to live right. God doesn't say, well, because you're saved, you can just live how you want and do what you want and act what you want. That's not what he's saying. And Paul is saying, listen, there is a judgment and it is a righteous judgment. It is a perfect judgment because the judge is perfect and the book is written. And there is a perfect judgment that is coming. And it is a personal judgment that we will give account for ourselves. And so Paul is explaining that here in, in Romans chapter 2 
And, uh, and I hope that just helps you understand Romans 2 a little bit. We'll get into the uh, second part of that and the idea there. Uh, and then he dumps right into 3 where he, he proclaims that there's none righteous and that we're all sinners before God. And, uh, and hopefully that will just help you uh, grasp a better understanding of all of that. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for your word that's so clear. And God, for Paul describing this very pertinent, very important truth to us. That God, someday we're going to have to give an account to you. And it doesn't matter what man thinks. It doesn't matter what man says ultimately in the end. It's you that we're going to stand before. And you've written in your word clearly what we should do and how we should live. God, I pray that you would help us to realize how important it is to be right before you. And God, may we not live our life to please man, but may we live our life to please you. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we'll just have a short hymn of invitation. God's spoken to your heart. I hope it's been a help to you that we realize and we understand we need to be right with God in our life. God expects us to live a right life. May we not become pious, puffed up, and sometimes that's easy to do. Sometimes it's easy to think of yourself as better than somebody else. 